We've had Me Too, and now we have this dumb fuck, Doug Ford. Already he's changing Ontario for the worst, reversing the sex ed curriculum to a time when Napster was all the rage, canceling increased education on Indigenous issues in schools. What's next? Birthdays? He needs to be stopped, and we need to move beyond awareness. We need fucking action. Support the work being done by us, your resident feminist diehard bitches, for initiatives like Orders Up, our clap back against the restaurant industry's culture of sexual harassment, and support a feminist podcast that has your feminist back. Check us out at patreon.com slash badandbitchy to support independent, intersectional feminist media as we form the resistance against Doug Ford. Stay woke, stay bitchy. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And guys, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday indeed. It's been it's been a week. It's been humid as fuck. Oh my god. Like I am just like this humidity is very West Indian. It's very Caribbean to me. <laughs> Does that make you feel right at home or like, or do you hate it? I don't hate it only because I have a rule. I can only complain about one season and I choose winter. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. I feel like that's a fair take. Or else I'd be complaining all year round. And why would I do that? I hate those people that complain oh all year round. Oh my gosh. I'm like, have you nothing in your life filled? Like, is there no joy? Yeah. The only thing I complain about in the summer is that like, well, I mean, I don't have air conditioning, but also I just sweat a lot. And so, so I, I complain I. about the sweating. Are not you a sweater heat. too? Oh God. I Awful. sweat like a pig. Me too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you're not just only joking. I'm like obviously glistening. Yeah, but you're like this is like dewy glowing on yeah, their cheeks. You're yeah, you're glowing. Eric and I are like oil well, slicks. I, I know. I'm like, I better get a new oil-free moisturizer. No, honestly, the other week I was sitting on a patio for lunch and like by the end of like an hour, 45 minutes of being out there, I could feel like sweat dripping down my legs, like all the way down. And the whole time I was like, I'm going to stand up. People are going to think I pissed myself. Yes. That's how much I'm oh, sweating. I know. The weird, oh, the, the worst weird about spot. like the humidity <laughs> is that like you sweat in places that you wouldn't normally. So you're just, totally. you're just like, but you're just like carrying like something like a bag yeah. and you've got like sweat dripping from your elbow and you're like, what is this like <laughs> puddle like in my arm? And it's like dripping down and you're like, what is happening? Boob sweat. Boob sweat's a classic. I mean, I guess. Not that it happens to me. <laughs> have to have Be some. thankful. You know what? I am. Between the yeah. boob sweat and the chub rub, there's a lot going on. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Only thin people are scandalized by the expression chub rub. Oh, I'd never heard it before. Oh, my God. This is my pet peeve is thin people not knowing what this is. It's okay. when you're I know, I know what it is. I just had never heard the term before. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you know. Yeah. It's that, I mean, yeah. you have to see it, but it's thighs rubbing against I get that. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. Some very thin person asked me the other day um, what it was. She was like, what? Why are you wearing shorts under your dresses? And I'm like, first of all, like, because I bike, but also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I've been running lately and like oh, yeah. chafing. Man. That'll do oh. it. Anywhere on your body. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone can recommend a good like anti-chafing thing for running, send it my way. <laughs> painful man painful also when like 
your like underwear rubs. That I oh, like yeah. that one. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, and it like gets raw. Oh, this is why. I love going it. commando. Like I really root for that because in this weather, but then man. I know, but it's it's hard. Like I wear a lot of short hemlines, like shorts and skirts. It's hard then. You can do shorts, skirts. I would say no. You can do shorts. I agree to a certain degree, unless like if you're sitting down for a while, it could like ride up, and there could be a little bit of, uh, you know, hmm, labia cleavage. Labia beef curtains. <laughs> beef. <laughs> okay, mine was oh way god. classier. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm gonna love editing this week. This. You mean not editing? I hope. <laughs> yeah. Keep it. We're keeping it in. <laughs> well, on beef that note. curtains. I love. <gasps> no. I think we found a title. No. Yes. <laughs> Carry on, Aaron. <laughs> well, on that note, um, on to more serious matters. This one's going to be heavy, so Let's we're fucking with you. get <laughs> fucking into it more than we already are. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this week in feminism, it's, uh, y'all, it's time for our weekly check-in on our Canadian exceptionalism. Because um, I know you all like to think that Canada's better than everyone else. We're so awesome. How can... Everybody like, not want to be us. In fairness, this is true in that, like, there are definitely worse places to live. Um, the but, United uh, States? Sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, we're not special. No. So uh, we bring you the latest from CBSA, Canada's Border Services Agency. This week, Vice News reported that CBSA has been collecting the DNA from migrants and using ancestry websites to find and contact their distant relatives to es- to establish their nationality and then uh, deport them, possibly. So CBSA is looking to deport a Liberian refugee, Franklin Godwin, who received permanent res- res- residency in 1996 but was charged two two years later with a series of drug charges and subsequently sentenced to seven years in jail. The seriousness of his convictions led to his permanent residency status being revoked, causing him to be deported back to Liberia. What followed was a series of events that involved being denied entry into Liberia, him being brought back to Canada, only to be deported and rejected again by Liberia as they claimed he was not a Liberian national. So a DNA, d- DNA test and a linguistics, linguistics test conducted in 2017 has led to officials thinking that Godwin is actually Nigerian. Basically, the CBSA has used DNA testing organizations like Ancestry.com to help them identify where relatives may be located to confirm his nationality so that they can deport him to the proper country as Goodwin is or Godwin is currently being indefinitely held in a maximum security prison. So uh, what's the big deal about this? Well, for starters, this is a huge invasion of privacy, especially since neither Godwin nor his lawyer have been able to see the results of these tests. Plus, the CBSA is saying that they're actually keeping the results from him for privacy purposes. And the second thing is, is that nationality and genetics (laughs) are not actually the same as holding citizenship (laughs) to a country. Um, So Amy, um, our our resident lawyer, any thoughts? Yeah, this is so absurd. I cannot believe what I was reading, honestly. One, because those what, like those sites and any sort of DNA gathering, I don't 
think actually gets you closer to any real finding of, of fact you're right about the nationality and citizenship first and foremost but yeah it's just such a huge breach of privacy and what really struck me not just with this story but there were multiple accounts um that have been uh that sorry, that have been reported uh by vice um of other individuals who have been caught up in the same thing where dna has been used against them um and again it's there's no due process you don't you're not before um an immigration or refugee board your lawyers don't have access this is all done through and i mean you could appeal a decision uh and have a decision of cbsa reviewed potentially but you you're all this evidence is being kept from you um, unless you unless you escalate that sort of legal action, so it's a, it's I mean it's a huge inf- it's a huge infringement not to know the case against you and not to have access uh, to your own DNA information that's being used and being able to scrutinize how it's being used and applied. The linguistics that the, they did was they took they <laughs> took an interview that CBC did with this guy for 27 minutes and gave it to a linguistics expert who said he doesn't exactly sound Liberian. Well, what does that mean? Who's it, like in any if it was any proceeding, you would be vetting the credentials of the linguistics expert you would have them do a new interview with the individual not based on a tape from god knows when under whatever circumstances and also not to say that people have transient backgrounds that doesn't necessarily like, like the idea that like your national identity can one be traced to dna and two looks the same in every instance with like no variation it's just such fucking bullshit well, like, so exa- for example, me being of mixed race, like, it would tell me that I'm Chinese and from, like, you know, Great Britain. Yeah. Uh, wh- where would they send me? Like, well, well, and it's also that they're trying to find the family members of these people to be like, hey, come get your boy. And it's like, really? Like, <laughs> that's invasive to those people. Like, one, also, you don't know who they are. You have to go vet all of these people that you want to, like, now make contact with. You've brought them into the scope of your you know, weird, like, nation-state security apparatus. And and they may not even actually know who he is. No, of course not. Because they're talking about <laughs> well, I distance. People, can, people well, have I thought can, they were going to use the identity, like, the DNA to actually prove he is who he is. I mean, I would think that that's how you would use it. I don't understand how you could use DNA to prove somebody's nationality. You fucking can't. No. On top of that... How do we know what kind of rigor Ancestry.com and FamilyTreeDNA.com have? Can, can we be guaranteed that their level of rigor with handling these samples is such that, mm-hmm. you know, we can actually trust them? Well, exactly. And so do you think that this is the way the government should be making policy or, like, enacting policy? I find it disturbing as fuck. Disturbing. Absolutely. I mean, it's disturbing. It is not not only does it infringe on X a number of charter rights. I mean, do we even know the labs that they're testing these 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 samples in? Do we know the privacy issues? Do Mm -hmm. we know do we know if they're up to snuff medically like the fact that the Canadian government can then use this against you is disturbing as fuck. And I, 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 here's something else I wanted to put in, actually. Um, so this is also a privacy issue. Um, if you are asked, if you're in detention, you're asked for a DNA swap, mm-hmm. good luck saying no. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they'll charge you with that, too. 
Mm-hmm. So this guy has been sitting, basically, I'm assuming, in detention yep. for years. Yep. Yep. He's already so he's already served time for his crimes and so been what the b- fuck deported are we doing? and sent like ping ponging back yeah. and forth across the Atlantic, and now he's in Max. So he's been because in, like, he was had drug trafficking from like 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, so he's like, been in prison for 20 years. It's it's absolutely ridiculous the fact that you could detain someone indefinitely essentially under and in in max and under such like you know extreme conditions for no crime being committed there are other ways to monitor people if you want to put the and clearly cbsa is monitoring the shit out of these people so you can put someone like that back monitor them without completely taking away all of their autonomy and Mm -hmm. all of their like every shred of liberty this guy has has been taken from him and the thing is there is this gray area. I'm assuming there's this gray area within, you know, where I guess I'm guessing that the government would say, well, you know, these rights don't apply to you. You're a refugee. I mean, or or well, or a migrant yeah. or an immigrant or whatever. And you don't have you're not you don't have permission to stay. So. I mean, I'm talking from the government, and I'm just saying yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about what I the think government would say. I think they have a very say. hard time making that case, though. Fair. I think they, I think they, they would, and they'd mm-hmm. say this is someone mm-hmm. who's who's broken other types of laws, and this is an administrative hold. And, yeah. And and you know this is um, you're right that he's not captured quite by this, but the, those rights though still exist, and even the rights of people. I mean, sec- the security interests in the charter and in international legislation is all by, ba- ba- or international treaties are all based on these types of scenarios. They're not just. It's not just citizens. It is for people who yeah. who fall, who in fall these, through, through the, the cracks, cracks and, yeah. and otherwise, you know. And and there unfortunately the true reality is there are a lot of folks who are indefinitely detained due to uh, deportation issues mm-hmm. that CBSA has and you know I think it's a hard it's quote unquote a hard, I don't think it's a hard conversation they're people and they should be treated with decency but politically I see why it's a hard conversation to have but to to lock lock folks up throw away the key and then key, and then spend all these resources. While they're locked away trying to track them down, track down their extended family on ancestry, just so you could like, you know, kick them out the door, is is pretty absurd. And after so many attempts, you just I, at some point, what do you say? We just like about absorbing this person into. Well, yeah. So basically, like he was sentenced to seven years in jail. Mm-hmm. So he's been in prison in or in and out, and like out is in like be, trying to be deported for 20 years Mm -hmm. yeah we're not talking out as in he got freedom yeah okay um so 20 years so the cost of keeping him in prison for that long plus the administrative and like testing costs of like getting all this stuff done just to deport him yeah like think of all the money that is being spent Mm -hmm. just to achieve this goal which kind of is almost moot at this point Mm -hmm. you know what this trudeau government may be more dangerous than we even think they are well i mean to go back to the issue of privacy and this information and data gathering that cbsa is doing cbsa csis csic have all had expanded powers now to gather this information whether about detainees or about people in general or activists or anyone that proves to be a thorn in the side of the government. That's that's essentially what Bill C-51 under Harper did. And it's yeah. it was not yeah. repealed by the Trudeau government. No. In fact, 
I will just tell you guys something. So Catherine McKenna. <laughs> your fave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason she's my fave. Okay. When I spoke to her before she got elected, she's like, yeah, we're going to we're going to repeal B- C-51. And and then when I asked her about it afterwards, oh, we'll just try to fix it. So, sorry, just so we're clear, you mean fave in quotes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Actual fave. fave. <laughs> if you don't understand my sarcasm, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah, so she's my fave <laughs> for that reason. Yeah. She fucking, she, she campaigned on that and then turned around and was like, whoops. Yeah. A lot Fuck of that a lot of people shit. did. It was a huge issue. I'm sure we all remember the extent of like protests that happened. I was really I it was at a time when I was really active in organizing and, and it was really powerful to see how many folks were uh, rallying behind this issue from so many segments of the population because it targets so many folks. And I and for the the Trudeau government to see that do nothing is absolutely absurd. And I guarantee you they're they're using the their data got more than ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think people, you know, protesting at the pipelines aren't being like tracked and monitored to the like, you know, they are. Yeah. 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 So how does this different, if at all, from what's going on in the U.S.? In terms of the the detention and the. Oh, yeah. Hardly at all. I mean, the reality of immigration detention centers in Canada is like really dark and despicable. We we have the same practice of detaining people while they're while although they ought to be processed a lot faster and so instead of putting those upfront resources to assessing claims quickly or at least putting people into the general population and saying like check in here's the person you check into if you don't check in then you know then that will have an issue Um, but instead we detain first and foremost and I mean we have so many dark stories in recent years of whole classes of of refugees coming um from known conflicts where we've done the same thing. So, you know, when uh, the MV Sunsi came from Sri Lanka, then Tamil community, like refugees were coming and landing in, on the West Coast, all of those people were put into detention centers. There's no ambiguity. That. That around 2010. Yeah, yeah, there was no ambiguity that they were coming from a conflict zone yeah. and that probably, like, <laughs> they're not like, yep. they're neither Q jumpers nor that they have, like, illegitimate, like, one, one Q jumping is a bullshit claim, no matter when you apply, you have to Why have... Why don't you explain Q-jumping for our listeners? Well, everyone seems to think that if you come in through a so-called irregular port or legal port of entry, you're skipping the line, that there's some sort of line out there. And you're, be, you're asking to be processed ahead of other people. Or that you're trying to, like, ex- game the system. You're not gaming the system because no matter where you land, anywhere or wherever you arrive, or whenever you want, you can say, I'm claiming refugee status. I'm cl- I'm claiming asylum. Right, because you my crossing application. the border is a port of entry. Yeah, you arriving any you could arrive yeah. and claim a- like once you're in and say that I'm making an application. You I could can't be go a back. Fuck Manitoba. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and it has nothing to do with when you arrive. There's no order. You don't apply before you get here. You apply when you get here. You don't apply That's for a right. refugee status. Like you, it's not an, it's not immigration. 
You know, you're not in a list of backlog the way spousal sponsorship applications are. Exactly. The whole point is that we assess you as you arrive in the circuit, like, because of the urgency and, like, the very precarious nature of the fact that you're, like, that led you to being an asylum seeker. People seem to think that immigration is a bunch of people just coming over the border and we decide whether to give them a nod or not. Yeah. Whether they're allowed. It doesn't fucking work that way. No, and they're... Com- what? Yeah. <laughs> and there's so many different classes of, immig- of immigrants, aside from uh, putting refugee status aside, yep. uh, that we assess and process at different time frames and timelines. Economic and is one of yeah. them. Family reunification. Totally. And yeah. there there are people who get to stay for humanitarian grounds who've That's been here right. a long time. That we People who know. get to stay for artistic grounds. Yeah. Also, yeah. All sor- we make all sorts of exceptions and rules, and it's, it's a very expansive area of... Of law and policy and and <laughs> legislation that and the, economics, I can tell you that absolutely. And it's really it's really funny that people seem to think that you can that lump one lump all migrants together or two say that like all mi- migration issues are one and the same that they're all being handled the same way through the same channels. They're absolutely not. But we've imported this disgusting notion of illegal immigration, the, which is already a falsehood and a, a bullshit expression from the U.S. But it has, I mean, has very little grounding there as a as a proper term, except that people are undo- undocumented. But no one's one, no one's legal. But definitely, like that, that's not at all what we're talking sure. about. And, and it's this idea of wrapping that up in some sort of criminality, for sure. That I find because it's not. Mm-hmm. It is not a criminal act. No. Yeah. So no, this idea yeah. that these are criminals just as as barbarian hordes that are that are breaching our borders is right. fucking ridiculous. Right. Yeah, there's nothing illegal about trying to seek safety for you and your family. Exactly. I will say this. So I'm going to pick up on the data thing just because there's mm-hmm. been a lot in the news of data breaches. Today, I this this is not related to migration, but it's related to de- the data. Today, drug giant GlaxoSmithKline teams up with DNA testing company 23andMe, which is not the actual, that's the title from Mm -hmm. NBC News. Home DNA test results from the 5 million customers of 23andMe will now be used by drug giant GlaxoSmithKline to design new drugs. Cool. It's the biggest partnership yet aimed at leveraging the increasingly popular home genetic testing market in which customers pay for mail-in saliva tests that are analyzed by various companies. That's fucked up. Hmm. That is fucked up. Because I can bet you, I don't understand why this is okay. When you participate in these sort of of tests yeah you are participating in them in a specific context Mm -hmm. the fact that GlaxoSmithKline can now come in and re it's like a contract and reorganize or or develop a new contract you that you did not agree to they fundamentally changed the terms they changed the terms and they're using Mm -hmm. your property to further their interests and Mm -hmm. agenda and don't think that's not going to come back politically and policy is not going to be built from that anyway i'm just really really upset about this 
like upset. Yeah, I think we just generally need to be aware and conscientious of who we're providing our data and information to and how they can kind of just change the terms that you agree to on a whim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm just I I'm I'm not impressed right now. I just can't. <laughs> well, and the other thing is also the technology aspect of it. Um, you know, we one our data is just also naturally out there for people to collect, gather, and rely on. Um, but just um, you know, we also assume for some reason, and the government seems to think these corporations and the technology they've developed is like inscrutable. When we don't know that, we oh. don't have a chance to scrutinize it. Oh, I'm They're glad sitting you brought that <laughs> up, baby. Well, I got receipts for yeah. that. Too. Well, let me just I want to also toss in another is this like a little bit of a, a tangent, but sort of in, in, in line. Amazon has a face recognition software. That's that, what is I that was going to go. Yes. Yes. So we Amazon has a face recognition software, uh, which has like this weird name that I recognition it's, it? it's a really dumb whatever look it up it's a software tool uh that you could use to i guess scan photos against a, f- uh, a database of mugshots and so the aclu took it and ran um members of congress's faces their headshots through it and 28 of them showed the, the, a match for someone's mugshot that they had what to, yes and of those, I think all, all or the major, vast majority of them were racialized people, yeah. racialized members of Congress. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is some, like, the way it's designed is clearly, it's, I mean, you know, it's like this AI software that spews racism. It's like the developers, like, input their own thing. Cam- we know that cameras have a racial bias. Pictures, the co- like, the way p- cameras take in light excuse to favor light-skinned people so i don't know maybe that's part of what this is maybe it, the developers didn't weren't cognizant of those issues i love how that was but like that's some fu- that's well known up. in like black communities it's like oh man i see they don't every time you took a school picture it was it was too dark for you yeah you know <laughs> like yeah. and your parents would always you be can't like order these <laughs> exactly and um you're right like those facial recognition software it is particularly wrong when it comes to racialized people you know what erica that's a great segue into our next topic yay (laughs) i already know i now understand the the um practicality of the top knot really yeah Oh. No, like like <laughs> another I'm looking at your hair and then there was the girl at the LCBO who had a top knot and I'm like I get it. I mean it was mostly because I taught was at sweating. Lunch, was uh-huh. taught at lunchtime and my hair was wet. Oh. Uh, yeah. But that whole sweat well, thing, great. I get it. Yeah, it like sticks to my neck. It's, it's a good look yeah. for you though. Um Are you ready? <laughs> Why, yes. Okay. <laughs> I was going to call you Amy so that should tell you where I'm at. <laughs> Moving on to uh, a more broad, serious, and fun topic, perhaps. Uh, the, the link between misogyny and whiteness. So the unsettling rise of radical misogynist men seems to only be getting worse, and too often it goes unchecked. So um, in a report 
first provided to Cosmopolitan Digitally, the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism details its new classification of misogyny as radical hatred in the same vein as white supremacy. The report's author, Jessica Reeves, says, quote, There's a growing sense of resentment among certain groups of men, especially white men, towards women for what they see as a theft of their power and status. Violence, vicious harassment, and other forms of misogyny are a huge threat to women everywhere. We want people to understand that misogyny is dangerous and that by elevating everyone's understanding of this critical threat, we can reduce the risks. Given how active white supremacists are in, at the moment and the ongoing threats of public violence against women, we think it's really important for people to understand that these hateful groups don't exist in a vacuum. They feed off one another and urge each other on, end quote. This growing sentiment of misogyny is also linked to the concept of white fragility, which is the subject of a new book called, well, um, it's called White Fragility. <laughs> and uh, as a reminder, white fragility refers to the disbelieving defensiveness that white people exhibit when their ideas about race and racism are challenged, and particularly when they feel implicated in white supremacy. The book argues that our largely segregated society is up is set up to insulate whites from racial discomfort so that they fall to pieces at the first application of stress, such as when someone suggests that quote-unquote flesh-toned may not be an appropriate name for a beige crayon. Unused to unpleasantness, white people lack the racial stamina to engage in difficult conversations, which leads them to respond to these quote-unquote racial triggers with Quote, emotions such as anger, fear, and guilt, and behaviors such as argument, argumentation, silence, and withdrawal from the stress-inducing situation, end quote. So this is something that is largely a theme of the podcast. Um, we've talked about white fragility, not necessarily using that specific term a lot. And I think this is something that was a big theme in the fallout from the 2016 um, election in the U.S., um, Amy, what, uh, what are your, what's your take on this, this link between whiteness and misogyny? Well, I think, um, I mean, it, it's great that it's being explored. I think it's absolutely part of the same degree of thinking of, of othering, um, that's always sort of been there. And this is why feminism as an area of, of as a school of thought, to put it broadly, has always looked uh, not always but in recent years and has taken a turn to looking at intersectionality um because there are like this is also part of the connectivity of like that kind of thinking um both in men but also in other like in other groups this wanting to sort of create um well one if i said like it's it's actually all similar it's similar traits like the sense that someone's taking something away from you that your rights and you know the things that you have in your life are finite and can't be divided and that anytime someone else gains in rights and access it's coming at, at an expense of yours people have had that same mentality around women uh gaining access into the workplace into into other spheres and it's true of race as well and we see the intersections of that um and so it's no different and it's so it's no surprise that a lot of people who hold the one view often hold the other um and erica i know that you like to post a lot on facebook and twitter um particularly about white women and white women weaponizing their white fragility 
uh, in terms of tears. Their tears. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I want to shout out to all my women of color out there who, okay, I want you, first of all, to, to step back, close your eyes and step back to your past. And I would dare anybody, any woman of color to tell me that they haven't had like a Becky in elementary <laughs> or like high school who started shit with you. OK. And then as soon as a teacher came along and <laughs> you, all of a sudden you're the aggressor. Shout out to all those women because I feel you ladies. And that's how it starts is that is that white women and and white the innocence of white women is sacrosanct and in a way like I feel like that's why white men are so mad at white women in a way it's like well we protected you from all those all those black people and and Mm -hmm. these and these animals out there these immigrants these brown people blah 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 and you turn around and you do us like this because white men will in that state of fragility will protect white women and the innocence that they represent it is it is the king kong jane type of idea of white women and white and the threat in terms of white fragility i can't tell you how many times i have heard i don't see race I don't see color. I don't care if you're purple or black or blue or and they always mm-hmm. come out with the colors that nobody can be, right? Which are literally like the colors you color aliens when yeah. you're a child. <laughs> you're like, thanks. Every time I hear that, I'm like, and what? Yeah. And it's the same thing Martin Luther King talked about in his letter from a Birmingham jail. I even have this like like bookmarked on on chrome <laughs> just so i could pull out receipts <laughs> but yeah i mean martin luther king talked about and this article also this right fragility article also talks about um white liberals and how white liberals are basically poison and uh i'm going to quote i'm going to bring up a martin luther king quote <clears throat> from 1963 okay i have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate the negro's greatest stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the ku klux klanner but the white moderate who prefers a negative peace that is absent of tension to a positive peace which is the presence of justice now that isn't the entire quote but you get the idea because if you actually look it up he also talks about other stuff. But um, at the end of the day, we live in a system where white people are protected against the barbarian hordes. And the barbarian hordes are immigrants, people of color, and even in Canada, it's language. And so um, I think that I, I, I welcome this New Yorker article and I, I hope that white people will read it and not feel some sort of way, but they will. We aren't as aware of white supremacy in our everyday lives as we like to think we are. You know, like 
white women and their their tears and their weaponization of these tears is white supremacy. Um, you know, white supremacy is the system that we were just talking about with CBSA. It is the facial recognition technology and not being able to distinguish mm-hmm. differences between, you know, five different black people mm-hmm. and saying that they are all the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to tell us we all look the same. Yeah. People say that about Asians too, like from like actual. And I'm like, really? And like, I think we don't refer to these things as a white supremacy when we should. And we, we refer to them as just, they're just structural. They're just the way the system is. We, a lot of people, I think are hesitant to refer to them as white supremacy because they're like, oh, that's just like the way things are. I think they they think it's all about the white supremacy is about the KKK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they can divorce themselves from that. Because that's they're not them. They're not them. They're othering other. They're othering other white people. By the way, I also noticed the white liberals love to like other their um, their poorer cousins yeah, and call sure. them the racists. I like that's the other way in which yeah. the system or- reinforces class. Yeah. And the system reinforces class so that they, because if you think about it, like think about like, I'm going to go a little bit further. You know, I'm going to put economics into this. <laughs> if you think about the labor movement, if you think about when immigrants started coming into particularly the U.S. around the turn of the 20th century on mass, the othering of, because at the same time you had like the post-Civil War era, So you had a lot of labor out there. One of the ways that white people were separated from that was to make them feel that their whiteness alone is as value and Mm -hmm. they're better than those other people. Mm -hmm. It's been done throughout time. And so there's this divide and conquer, especially when it comes to the elite whites, to and you know they'll in terms of the way they separate those classes that one class so that they really can't rise up in unison against them. Yeah, I think sorry, the term I was thinking of, the phrase I was thinking of before was our internal biases. Right. And we are not a lot of people just aren't willing to check their internal biases to recognize and challenge themselves that they are built up on the basis of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a good uh, example of this is the the tariffs that are being put on um, farmers in the U.S. right now. So, you know, there's like this weird global trade war happening, and it's really affecting farmers in America. Mm-hmm. And in order to alleviate this pressure, the Trump administration has essentially bailed out the farmers injecting 12 billion dollars so that they can into the agricultural <laughs> system so that they can help these people i'm sorry this is the biggest con which is <laughs> fucked up because the trade war didn't need to happen yeah the administration was like oh well you know what we think that we deserve a better deal we don't really know what that is but uh we're gonna put tariffs for all these countries and um, 
how dare you retaliate and like punish America. And uh, well, you know what? We're going to help the white people. Meanwhile, you've got fucking Puerto Rico who got barely any money in emergency aid Mm -hmm. to fucking who are like may not actually be American, quote unquote, American citizens, but it's an American territory and thereby they are Americans and they don't get they went months without electricity, months without education, months without like clean water. You've got the fucking Flint crisis, which are literally American people who aren't getting clean water. And but the farmers, the farmers already subsidized substantially, by the way. Yes. (laughs) Don't even start me with farmers and their fucking (laughs) subsidies. I can't. I. (laughs) (laughs) Did we do Aries started on it? (laughs) That look, Erica. (laughs) Fuck. Uh, I was very angry. Um, But uh, so so one of these articles that uh, we're talking about here actually references the. the van attack that happened in Toronto a few months ago, um, which in which Alex Manassian, and we spoke about this before, drove a van into a crowd of people, killing 10 and injuring others. And his, he, there was claim, there are claims that his act was driven by his hatred of women. And, uh, you know, since then we've seen the link between so many of these attacks based on this hatred of women and this like misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, is it surprising to you, Amy, that like the ADL is actually outwardly saying that misogyny is extremist behavior? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a long time coming. I mean, it's what women have been saying for ever, essentially. I mean, one, the fact that, I mean, you know, it, it's rooted in so many things, you know, sexual violence as a weapon of war historically is a sign, is an ex- is a sign of how, you know, sex and 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 um, misogyny and that kind of like actual sexual violence rather is actually a big part of violence, um, and violent and violent behaviors. And you also see like, you know, we've been talking about it in this country. I mean, it was a huge thing to have the um, uh, day against violence against women. That's in December of every year, marking the Polytechnique massacre. That was a huge activist effort to get that even labeled as such. But I, I don't think it's a mis- you know, a mystery that that sort of extremist violence is is rooted in misogyny. Is and it's a, and it's a, and it's a very unique in a class that should be targeted and and addressed. And you know, people should have concert an opportunity to like you know engage on those terms instead of labeling all violence or all terrorists or all mass violence activities one and the same well we've talked about it on this pod a lot of times that there is that connection between um between uh white supremacy active white supremacy instead of passive which i consider like kka and them active sure um but like we've said that and um i remember somebody tweeting me where's the proof well here's the proof motherfucker now we got the stats but i also um want to say that here's something that i live by when there's a reason that anti-semitism is one of the antis that i hate a lot when somebody spews anti-Semitism, I'm like, okay, so that's a racist, and the 
the train to Blacksville will, will never be late because that train will come and it will pull up to that station. And let me tell you something. Once you start with anti-Semitism, you know, nigger ain't that far behind. Like, it's just not. Yeah. Because hate is a continuum. It's not, you can't hate one set of people and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we've been treating this. We don't even want to say racist anymore or because it might offend somebody, which goes back to that white fragility piece. Well, so how many articles have we seen in just in the last week where they were using the racism in quotes in the headline? Ugh. Or racially charged racially charged you're right that's worse <laughs> there was a racist uh, ra- quote-unquote racist incident on the toronto ferry we won't call it what it is even though we've all seen the video and it's clearly a racially yeah. motivated tirade. we saw that baby yeah. and there's at best at like at least right yeah. like then there was an assault in vancouver uh, which like was like some a f- the parent of like a friend of a friend of mine like Oh, really? Yeah. Shit. It's crazy. Shit. What happened? I don't know. It was like some sort of assault, like random. Like like a physical assault? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And then there's the dude in Mississauga. Mississauga, who I think is still in hospital. He's still in hospital, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like this idea that these acts are somehow random. They're not. Isolated. They're not. Um, just, just, it just belies the whole... It, it keeps people from seeing the big picture. And the big picture is that this, every system that we know was built to keep white people safe mm-hmm. from everybody else. Mm. The perpetuation of that system is every white person in their feelings. Yeah. Because they're all in their feelings. All of them. I'm okay maybe not all of you because hashtag not all white people because that's your fragility speaking Mm. too. one thing I just want to add is that like misogyny is also a continuum and it's also a slippery slope and this became I mean if you're a woman who exists on like the open internet you know this 100% Um, so I wrote had a column today uh, posted in the Ottawa Sun which is a a conservative leaning pr- paper um basically there is a i was saying that you know locally we don't have enough candidates running for public office and you know some ways to support them i provided three um that one men need to be taking on a larger role when it comes to child rearing two making child care more affordable and three we just need stronger support systems um for women and across society mm-hmm. to provide women with opportunities um of course the comments are only came from men on this yeah. one man said well it's your choice to have a child i didn't make you have a child uh, i also didn't ask you to run for office um bitch you're taking away people's contraceptive and abortion rights left right and center and now you're telling people that it was your fuck you so you yeah these are also the same men who demand that they get to have progeny so the the second one said this is very very slanted she makes it sound like it's because of men that women won't run sounds like crap to me that's that's not the case um it makes it easier which is lowering the barrier. Mm-hmm. The third one, 
course, is a Doug Ford supporter. And his profile picture is Doug Ford. Sorry, that was my eyes rolling into the back of my head. I'm not sure if you heard them. <laughs> that was so gross. <laughs> Anyways, um, he says, well, at that rate, we need to fire many nurses and teachers to make room for men. Um, and then we need, a, we need a bunch of money to help men get trained and out of minimum wage positions in construction and jobs where there are trucks truck or delivery drivers and we also need to stop hiring women as nurses and teachers immediately so that men can catch also, up also fact check on all that shit also that makes he says, no fucking sense then he adds the cherry on top of a wonderful sunday all the women who have been displaced can now join the military and do their share of dying in those jobs after all they are as disposable as a man There's a lot. You know, there are a lot of people who believe half the stuff in that, though. Not the worst parts of it, but like, you know, the idea that men work more minimum wage jobs, they categorically do not. And in fact, truck drivers and construction workers are sometimes more more likely to be unionized, paid better wages overall. Yep. Um, And that's where pay equity comes in, where you try to find analogous uh, industry, like, you know, women predominant in uh, work. And compare across industries. Yep. And, and also, women always are making less. That's how we get these stats. But dude. also maybe um, raise the minimum wage, you know. Yeah. That, that could also help. Well, let's keep everyone impoverished, though. And, and everyone can go and die on the front lines. That's the kind of equality this um, is for. The race to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, um, we need more men as nurses and teachers. You know what? I agree with that basic premise totally we would have to start by deconstructing this guy's idea of gender yes exactly that we have to deconstruct the gender roles that we just have as a society that those are not jobs for men i mean this is the same person yet an article like talking about like whatever a male nurse did x he would be like what a fucking pussy exactly and then he probably spew some also shit you know nurses and teachers don't make that much money and one, they view it as the work of women. Two, men want to make more money because they want to be the quote-unquote breadwinners. Yeah. And they want to have a masculine... They want to feel and be masculine. Well, that's what's been pushed to them for generations. Exactly. Like, I, I, I think that the reason that teaching... And we were talking about this off-air, Aaron, and one of the things we talked about was that teaching and nursing are traditionally female roles is not surprising that they don't get paid Mm -hmm. because remember way back you didn't have to get paid because you had a husband yeah right yeah right yeah so your starting point for your wages like this is just something you're doing for fun exactly it's just a hobby for you and uh, yeah yeah so there's that so as exactly how we were talking about like white fragility, there is a patriarch or sorry, white supremacy. There's a there is a male supremacy out there, and this is how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 the uh, those comments are dumb as fuck. Seriously, <laughs> like, I mean, I love them. I know you do. The thing is, is that like they give me life. Yo, I just want to shout out Aaron here. Has so one of the questions just off, just as an aside, 
one sometimes when I talk to people like and they experience like racial discrimination or whatever they're like like how do you keep it together like how do you not get angry I'm like oh I'm angry but in a way you have to look at these people as dumb as fuck (laughs) okay and I I and Aaron you've helped me to see this because (laughs) remember when we wrote those articles and we would read off Mm -hmm. like we did those videos oh my god yeah yeah and you and Bailey were just laughing you guys have taught me how to take this shit sometimes sometimes I get angry sure anyway but the point is is that in in sort of like a self-care cocoon type thing like some people are just dumb fucks and don't know shit anyway that's why I saw it stay tuned for rent and receipts Now we're moving on to rent and receipts. This is where we each bring something and uh, tell everyone why it's important and stuff. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that's right. Yeah. That's not bad. Cool. All right. So uh, let me tell you about the greatest movie of all time. Sorry to bother you, which I saw last weekend and everyone absolutely needs to see. It's an independent movie by Boots Riley that is like just a total trip. Um, it's hard to talk about it without revealing too much because there are some, I even hate when people say there's a lot of plot twists because then you're just waiting for them, but you will not be disappointed. You will be like, oh, what the fuck? It is like, it's an art housey kind of film. That's like a bit of an acid trip, but it's really all about like jobs, the economy. It's set in an alternate reality, present day Oakland. Um, it's about, you know, working, working class communities and activism and unionization, um, among other things. And so it's, it's a great, it's like, I can't even emphasize enough how important this film is and how like it should be mandatory viewing for everybody. It starts with Keith Sanfield and Tessa Thompson, uh, Terry Crews is in it. Danny Glover's in it. Steven Yoon is in it. Army Hammer is in it. Okay. Now I'm interested. Wow. Yeah. No shit. Okay. Okay, what's this the, movie the called? Interne- <laughs> Sorry to bother you. The Internet's girlfriend, Tessa Thompson. Yeah, exactly. I love Tessa. And she is a hundred in it. There, we could talk about like her character and how well written and slash not it was, but she does great things with it. Um, but it's like a masterpiece of a movie, really um, evocative and provocative, um, but like just a total delight. If you watch the trailer, it gives you the first act of what the film is about. And then a lot of other cool shit happens. Um, But the premise is that there's this guy played by Lakeith Sanfield who is um, looking for a job. You know, he's dating Tessa Thompson. She wants him to get his shit together. He's living with his uncle, Terry Crews, like rent free, kind of being like in the converted garage. (laughs) And like his uncle's like, you've got to pay up. I feel like he could either be an incel yeah. Or he could get his life together. No, no. He's, <laughs> he's got great politics, which is part of the problem. He's like, what is the meaning of life? What is, like, po- you know, labor? Like, you know, I can't, like, I don't want to be selling my labor, capitalism and shit. And he, so he ends up taking a job at a call center and, like, getting really good at it. 
Um, but like, and you see like the middle management being really terrible and like how they pit employees against each other and they start to try to organize the call. This center sounds like workers. the government. <laughs> There's no you, everyone will there's no one who will find the watches and not find it relatable. But in any case, at the call center, um, you know, he's there and he's it's his first day and he's uh, sitting next to Danny Glover's character, who's like this, you know, old vet. And he's like, hey, man, you know, if you want to be really good at this, you have to put your white voice on. And Lakeith is like, oh, OK, well, I already talk pretty white. Like I people tell me I talk very white all the time. And Danny Glover is like, no, that's not white. Like, I'll show you white. And he, like, starts talking. And he has a voiceover of, like, a white dude. And then, like, Lakeith does it. And it's, like, David Cross is, does the voiceover. Oh, my so God. So it's, like, David God. Cross's voice is, like, over top. And he, like, a lot of the movies, him in white voice with, like, David Cross dubbed over. And at one point, Peyton Oswald does someone else's voiceover in it, too. But it's, like, this is super jarring to see. But in any case, all of this brings me to a Slate article that does break down how um, this is actually a very common form of discrimination. I'm sure that comes as no surprise to anyone here. But discrimination against people who speak English with a non-standard accent or non-standard grammar is called linguistic prejudice. There's a lot of studies that have been done about this, and it's very real and very felt. Um, so, the, you know, um, well, first of all, people studies have shown consistently that when p people can tell pretty accurately your race just by you saying hello which a lot of us would like to think that that's not true but actually linguistics studies have found that linguists uh, have studied this and found that that 70 percent accuracy for of people just hearing your voice without seeing you being able to identify your race um, and so when you call, for example, in some other studies, when folks call in to like set up apartment viewings in, in, in uh, these studies were done in California um, and calling in in predominantly black neighborhoods, you got slightly more viewing, more viewings if you're using African-American vernacular English, as they call it, um, and compared to less if you were making calls in uh, predominantly white areas. There was actually... Um, uh, you forty percent less um, invitations come to of apartment viewing. So it's not just in housing, though. It comes up in so many other places. Um, people then also project onto you that, uh, as we've talked about in the past, that if you're using non-standard English, you're being judged now as being unintelligent and lazy, and that these have then impacts. For example, in the classroom, teachers like projecting different biases onto students and how they evaluate them. There was one uh, study, in fact, where they uh, played a, showed a picture of a woman, um, two groups. One group saw a picture of a white woman and a picture of a Chinese woman. The recording was the same. The, a ch Chinese person, uh, ethnically speaking, who was speaking standard English or English in as close to white English as possible. And people who saw the voiceover against the white woman picture we're like yeah great lecture 10 out of 10 very very informative and the people who saw it but the picture they saw on the screen was of a chinese woman said oh it was so disorganized she like this was really confusing even though it was actually the same fucking voiceover so it shows you that kind of they called that uh accent hallucination um, so anyway, this is kind of getting into this like linguistic stuff in this late uh, article, but it's really telling how much 
truly linguistics prejudice is as uh, real and out there. And if you want to see it in a very dramatized and kind of amusing way, and also a very political movie, you should go see. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> you had me at political. <laughs> You're right. Well, this is something that Erica has talked about a lot, where she she has said that she can has experience operating in white spaces, and particularly when she worked in government. Um, and that was how she was able to basically last there for as long as she did. And um, so I grew up around a lot of white people. Uh, hi, Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, um, my voice can sound quite Caucasian on the phone. <laughs> and the funny thing can is... Can you do your white voice? Uh, hi, how are you? Oh my gosh, no way. <gasps> you don't, you're kidding. <gasps> no, did she really say that? Oh my God. <laughs> if you close your eyes, right guys, you can totally test. I'm <laughs> deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I just like <sighs> held eye contact with you that entire time. Yeah, like, who dis? <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> Actually, I saw on Twitter. Okay, I fucking love Twitter. Like, <laughs> I saw on Twitter a yearbook photo last year, and the girl said, anything is possible when you sound Caucasian oh, on the yes. phone. <laughs> that was priceless. And I said, this girl is going places. Mm. But it's true. I can tell black people on the phone. I can tell black Canadians on the phone, especially. Yes. I can tell. I can tell West Indians on the phone without the you accent. Can tell, I can tell like black people on podcasts. Exactly. So I mean, you know, there's a little bit more bass <laughs> in the voice. Okay, I do admit, but it's true. I mean, I remember my mom, who has an accent. And somebody treating her like she was a dumbass because mm-hmm. she had an accent, mm-hmm. even though her first language is English. Yeah. And unless you have a British accent, because <laughs> that's the privilege. Let's yeah. be honest. Uh. That's the privileged English accent. It's the English accent. Unless you have a British accent, you're probably going to be treated like shit if you have an accent. Even you have if to have you- the right British accent. Though. <laughs> oh, oh, that's true. You can't have a Cockney accent. Zing. That's true. You got to be middle class or higher. This isn't my big fat gypsy wedding. Yeah. Yes. I'm not surprised. This is, there is a linguistic bias. And the more we talk about immigration and migrants and immigrants as though they're trash, this is going to exacerbate the issue. On top of that, I just want to say, this is where white privilege comes in where white people who speak African-American vernacular Mm -hmm. English are praised as being woke and black people are just dumb fox. Dumb, uneducated, criminal fox. Using the same words, the same language. And I really... There's a class element to it too, There is a class element, yes. Because I think... So if you're if you're white and lower class and using African American vernacular as it's referred to by the linguist, which I'm sure there's got to be a better word, um, <laughs> you you definitely get lumped into that. But it's because of the same racial bias that is already assuming people who are lower class are, you know, lesser than, and and then saying, well, why you know you're being likened and you're kind of being treated yep. in that because of the association with blackness. 
Ex- that's the response. Oh my gosh! But yes. when middle when middle class people do it to seem hip and cool, yes, yes. they get cred for being hip and cool, yes. and that's why it's appropriation. And I would just say, I know I know activists who um, like to use African American vernacular language, <laughs> white activists, gender based white activists, and I'm finding it kind of troubling. Yep, I said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It had to be said. You know what? You're not wrong. I wouldn't be me if I didn't say it. You're not wrong and it needed to be said. If you uh, know who this is, tweet us. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I uh, language speaking, if you go to if you think about My Fair Lady or Pygmalion Mm -hmm. by George Bernard Shaw, language is a class identifier the way you use language is a huge class identifier and it has really become a racial identifier too and it is yet another way that white supremacy can discriminate against people of color especially if they grow up where people of color are being punished for growing up amongst their own another way Mm. that that non-white spaces are criminalized i'll be harping on this this is my new thing and then we'll wait for the study to come out and then we'll be like oh black people were right (laughs) (laughs) it must be hard being you and being right all the time (laughs) only on my lane though i'm a very i have a narrow lane and i keep to it there's a reason i respect that i there's a reason i don't speak about lgbtq issues it's not that i don't or trans issues, it's not that I don't identify, it's not that I don't believe in them, it's just that it's not my lane, and so I'd rather just listen and share other voices, or indigenous issues is another one, um, than really just putting my fucking mouth into something I really don't have any expertise in. Now, if the rest of Canadian media could be so, we'd have a much better province, we'd have a much better, you know, landscape. Mm. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> so, my rent and receipts, because, you know, that's where we're at, <laughs> has to do with, um, it's a millennial one. Speaking of Kylie Jenner being a self-made, and I'm qu- air quotes, billionaire, um, the New Yorker wrote a, po- uh, a piece that I thought was just excellent. And it goes like this. Lately, the air has been crackling with financial resentment. Tweets and articles about money, about, say, how, hi- how Kylie Jenner is a self-made billionaire, or how two rich college graduates chose their expensive apartment in Kipps Bay, or how one young woman lives in New York on an intern shal- salary and a generous parental allowance have extended themselves like steel rods into our atmosphere of extreme inequality. A conversation about general generational wealth in America is, of course, a conversation about whiteness. According to new research sun, summed up in an Atlantic piece by Adam Harris, 41% of white college-educated families receive a significant inheritance. In contrast, just 13% of black college-educated families do. Furthermore, white families with an inheritance receive an average of more than $150,000, 
where for black families, an inheritance is the average, the average is less than 40,000. The difference between the two figures is in itself life changing money. The benefits that accrue to children in wit rich families might be best understood as upper middle class welfare state, a sort of do-it-yourself universal basic income to a lucky few. The members of this class are often as blind to the luxuries afforded by this basic parental or this parental basic income as they are to the luxuries afforded by whiteness. Hmm. It is no coincidence that young women were subjects of all these stories. Young women who are constantly asked to present themselves as likable tend to be hyper aware of what other people think of them. And in this era of world historical inequality, and in this country which is psychologically addicted to the idea of bootstrapping, it is not cool to be blindly privileged to have lived your life on the soft velvet cushion of family wealth. Rich people who are more or less aware of this reality negotiate around it in odd ways. They try to portray billion dollar wealth as a cultural disadvantage, or they call themselves self-made when they have enjoyed advantages that others could only dream of. And I just want to say this, like, I hear when you talk about white privilege mm -hmm. specifically, the first thing you will hear from a white, usually male, <laughs> will be like, well, I worked for everything in my life. Right. Well, bitch, so did I. Really? But I didn't have $150 help or $150,000 help. Well, know? also, you worked for it, and the system is built to um, pick you over like when you else. put in your application and your name was like john, john smith and you called them with your white voice on exactly <laughs> yeah. you got in the room and you then they met you and they were like they didn't have any latent biases about whether you were as intelligent or lazy or hardworking or whether or not you could be trusted or you had an element of criminality or <laughs> you were <laughs> anyway. oh yeah but oh, I digress. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> that is straight to the point. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, oh, well, my dad left me when I was five. My dad left me when I was five. And my mother was a single mother and she had to work. And I'm just like, really? So when you get stopped by the police, how much of that works into your, um, your you know, your life that has been so hard knock well 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 i get tickets man I yeah tickets. but you oh get, yeah do you do you get to walk away with your life because oh get, that's cool do you get to breathe just saying yeah anyway i'm really angry at this fictional white man that we I, know, <laughs> I know i know i hate him too. fucking kyle <laughs> oh yes yes kyle <laughs> so riled. kyle you're the worst so riled up right now Okay. Um, also, so I want to bring in Tanahisi notes. Coats. Fuck. Okay. Sorry. I want to bring in Tanahisi Coates, uh, who had a. Um, have you ever seen Finding Your Roots on PBS? Mm -mm. As we're talking about DNA and all that stuff. 
So they te- they take DNA and they find out where you came from and they actually map out your um, family history. Now in America, this is really fucking interesting. It's a great program and it's you can find it free on YouTube. Um, anyway, uh, finding your roots. This particular episode had Janet Mock, Ava DuVernay, and Tanahisi Coates. And one of the things stacked, like yeah, totally seriously. stacked. One of the things he said is this. He said, it's, you know, when, um, by the way, the funny thing is the guy who, who hosts it was the same guy who was um, accused of breaking into his own house. Oh, no. Remember the Harvard yeah. professor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. was it like in the Obama era and Obama had a beer with him and yeah, all that? Yeah. Same yeah. guy. Anyway, yeah, I know all this stuff. So um, basically what um, was revealed about his family is that uh, one of his four parents got land willed to her by her slave master, which was not done. Yeah. This is back. We're talking about maybe four generations back, right? right? So, ever since then, the family th- that they came from has always been, like, a cut above. Mm-hmm. He One of the things he said, he said, you know, my cousins were not rich, but they always had things. Mm-hmm. Which basically said, and I will never forget that, because what impressed upon me is how much intergenerational wealth matters mm-hmm. And how far behind blacks were from the jump. Mm-hmm. And how far behind immigrants are, too, mm-hmm. from jump. And it's, 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 we need to start thinking about income inequality and racial income inequality, especially as a generational issue, because it is a structural issue. And just like we were talking about the structure of whiteness. This is how a structure set up, because I know a lot of people like to say, what, what's the big deal? It was 18, whatever. What difference does it make? Because those people in 18, whatever, if you were white, could pass down land. If you mm-hmm. were black, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that in itself was the biggest asset in those days. You know what? I, I'm not really sure I have much else to add to that. <laughs> I know. I'm done. So uh, my rent and receipts this week is, uh, well, it's about my favorite. My favorite gal, Ivanka Trump. Woohoo! And uh, how she shut down her fashion brand this week. Um, so if you haven't heard, Ivanka Trump has shuttered her namesake fashion brand after roughly 17 months of working in the White House without a salary. So um, her brand has faced some hardship recently. You know, Nordstrom stopped carrying it. The Hudson's Bay in Canada stopped carrying it. But they only did it a week before she shuttered her brand. It was like a couple weeks. Okay, whatever. Which is due to to declining sales. It was also like taken out of like Marshalls or like... TJ Maxx in the States. Yeah. Yeah. When TJ Maxx won't even touch you, my (laughs) goodness... Yeah, so basically, like, her garbage wasn't selling, 
And um, so she was like, I th- so she has decided to shutter her brand. Her statement said, quote, after 17 months in Washington, I do not know when or if I will ever return to the business. But oh, I do yeah. know that my focus for the foreseeable future will be the work I am doing here in Washington. So making this decision now is only fair, the f- only fair outcome for my team and partners, end quote. Um, I mean, on the upside, she had enough sensibility to recognize that her brand was tanking and saved the employees that she had working for her, all 18 of them, um, because she made her shit in sweatshops in Asia, which uh, did not face tariffs, (laughs) P.S. And uh, basically, you know, she saved them the hardship of, like, having to go through this drawn-out process. Sure. And hopefully they get some. They're, so they're hopefully not they get some they sort of some severance money. package or what have yeah. you. You know what? TBD. Um, however, she says she is focusing on the work that she's doing in Washington. Bitch, what the actual fuck are you doing? Like you uh. went to Washington to champion family leave. Yeah. And also fight for women. Meanwhile, your father has nominated someone to the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, who could very possibly repeal Roe v. Wade and make abortion illegal in, I think, 20 states immediately across the United States. But um, you know what? Ivanka doesn't like to make her stance is very publicly known. She just likes to work behind the scenes so she just doesn't get credit but she makes her opinions and values known to the people in the administration so they know where she stands. Oh, that's so valuable. Um, it's it's really a noble cause. <laughs> and you know what? It's a hard job and really someone has to do it. I mean, I don't know. It, she really is working so hard. And I'm I'm glad that she's committed to her work. You know what? Maybe now that she's only focused in one area and not, you know, still making money off of something she had distanced herself from 17 months ago like she was supposed to um, for ethics reasons, uh, maybe she'll actually be able to fucking do some shit in Washington that's actually useful instead of being fucking useless. Um, She's going to start claiming a salary now, I imagine. No, she can't. She can't? Because it's uh, the uh, nepotism. Oh, I thought yeah. it was just because of the outside business. No. no. Oh, well, that's still... Because you can't silly. hire family members. Right. Yeah. Could you imagine? They could just whisper in your ear. Yeah. So, um, Ivanka Trump, uh, really, really keeping things awesome. So... I think the fashion law, if I'm not mistaken, you know, one of my go-to brands mm. or sorry, fashion like blogs. Anyway, had a really good exclusive on all of the violations that that brand had committed. Oh, God. From, I can only imagine. Oh, my gosh. From labor laws to environmental laws to labor laws. But it's not only that, 
I mean, I want to give a shout out to all those who wanted who where hashtag grab your wallet was a thing. Mm, yes. Remember, remember, and remember that when that happened, Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom were like, you know what? No, this is too rich for our blood. Mm-hmm. You're not worth it because that brand before Trump took office was actually a good seller. Like I remember talking yeah. to people in retail and they were like, yeah, like people like that brand because um, not because of Ivanka Trump, but it was easy to wear sure. pieces that you could use if you're I a professional woman. I found myself regularly gravitating to it. Like I would be like at a rack at like the bay and like always being like, God damn it. Every time it's an yes. Ivanka Trump. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Or, or like a Kylie and and Kendall <laughs> Kylie and Kendall God damn it. although because I, the cuts are modern yes. and like they're young which is not always yeah. the case at the bay and so like and they're like within a good price range and you're like oh this is cute and every and like, damn time everyone's always Ivanka Trump yep yep but there was a space there that she filled very well yeah, sure as soon as Trump got elected yeah. and people people okay you know, I got to I got to hand it to Americans. I, you know, Americans take a lot of flack, but I got to hand it to them. They were like, "Fuck this shit." And they were and remember there was that there was that um the, there was a letter that was written to Nordstrom from a retail from a customer mm-hmm. who was mm. like, "You know, I really liked you until you carried yeah, yeah, this yeah. brand and it went viral yeah. on Twitter." And then Nordstrom was like, mm, no. Neiman Marcos was like, mm, no. Um, no, it's true. There was like a concerted campaign. It's, yep. it's definitely encouraged me around any sort of discussions of other types of boycotts. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. I, I'm like tired of people like downing boycotts like they're nothing. They're not nothing. Yeah. If you do it in a strategic and coordinated way, then they can be effective too. Because some people, but it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Some people understand the language of profit Mm -hmm. some people understand the language of an ass whooping i don't know what else to say you just got to speak to the people in their language (laughs) and for the trumps it's all about that brand right all about the brand all about the money it's all about the money and the brand and the power and i am at the point where i don't think trump is the big money in this scenario no i think um there. Wonder how his ties are doing. Oh, wasn't there a story where, um, like, some veterans came to the White House and were served with all made in China stuff or something oh like that? Something to that effect. Like, it's just so America first. But it just goes to show. So Ivanka was brought into the White House to soften him, yet he has more sullied her. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show people. You know why? It's because she's trying to play both sides. Yeah. She's trying to have her cake and eat it too. And she has. She can't. She can't. She needs to decide whether or not she is taking the Trump brand or taking the Ivanka brand. Because they cannot be the same. But have you noticed how quiet she's been over the past few months? Well, she's also been socially like. (laughs) She's a social pariah. Yeah. Like no one in their like community in New York like is like associating with her or Jared. Like they're completely on the outs. And I think like. So shame works. Oh, I'm sure that social isolation will eventually be helpful. She is. (laughs) She is V, 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 V excited for her new sister, Carly Kloss. 
Oh, God. What? Carly Claus is engaged to Josh Kushner. Oh, the brother. Yeah. The liberal brother. Yeah, well, well they're, they're only all. by name. Come on. I mean, he was at the Women's March. He's willing to put his face out there. You know they're what? Rich Democrats. They are yeah. what they are. Yeah. But, and that's which, not an unknown. But the fact thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't put too much stock no, in No, I don't Which is either. why I don't put too much stock in Ivanka. I mean, if her politics were she, to any degree She actually real. stands for nothing. And if, if she is willing to just like be like, oh, well, I, I told them. You know what Ivanka is there for? Ivanka, Ivanka is there to distract. She's there to be the lighter side of Trump. She's there to distract us with her attractiveness and her fashion forwardness and her woman empowerment. And her little kids and her normal and her looking little family. Kids and and she's the aspirational aspect. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But That's she's there to sell aspirational. They don't use her as whatever. much as they did at the beginning either. I, and I wonder that. what yeah. happened because it may, it may be one, something that is just I wonder if they will now. To, they might. I don't know. But they seem to be using Sarah Huckabee Sanders more than Ivanka. I know they don't have the same role, but they don't seem to be sort of using Yeah, every time they're like, here's a woman that we want to attend this event. Yeah. Yeah. They use Ivanka. She comes up in, like, my news occasionally. You got a Google alert? Do you have a Google alert? (laughs) I feel like you have a Google alert. No, 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 I don't. She's not going to admit it on Uh, that. I don't have a Google alert for her. No, it's out there now. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> Fine, let's start this rumor. Yo, I follow Trump on Twitter. I, I'm not gonna... Um, <laughs> so do I. Um, no, it's it's that she only speaks at very partisan things. And she speaks on such bland, vanilla topics that it's not worth covering. Right. right. So she goes and peddles the tax cut. Right, right, right. right. So, like, no one cares. Great, great use, great use of the the brand. Really, really standing up for those feminist values. <sighs> cool. Well, uh, that does it. Um, follow us on the internets. We're on the twitters at bad and <laughs> at bad and bitchy. We're on the instagrams at bad and bitchy pod, and on the Facebook <laughs> slash bad and me podcast. And don't forget, you could email us. We do have an advice column. Um, send us your questions. Badandbepod at gmail.com. Can I just say, where the fuck are y'all questions for this advice column? Email us, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will be back next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>